by the powers vested in me by the Federal Communications Commission, I command you to get on the microphone in a serious manner and continue this broadcast. Welcome to Cairo Nights, everybody. <coughs> yeah. I think we should, uh, we should, while we're doing all these doubles as we figure out the uh, the future of Cairo Radio, that's a little behind the scenes for you folks here. Um, welcome to Cairo Nights. I'm Spike O'Neill. We worked uh, 12 to 3 today and now 7 to 10 with my man, Matt Butler. How are you, buddy? I am doing well. I'm wondering when they're going to infuse you into AI. <laughs> then we can have Spike FM. It'll be a glorious I, thing. I want to be infused with like a Red Bull. Like an IV drip. I think that'd be great. Aren't you um, usually? Yeah, usually. Um, I want. I want. Here I go again on my own for the uh, nighttime music. <laughs> no, I never. I never want to play White Snake. In I was going to say I didn't know you were we such do. an avid fan. I, I'm not. I miss Tawny Katane, but I miss her. I only miss her rolling around on the hood of a Jaguar. Uh, a, a tragic tale, Tawny Katane. Um, anyway, hi, welcome to Cairo Nights. God, I'm having fun, buddy. This is this is the best. Um, this has been absolutely the, the, the best time of my life. I, and I, and that's saying something because I've had a blessed white privilege kind of a life. Seriously. I've been pulled over by the police, had my beer pouring out on the side of the road and been told, told to drive home safely. You I've, had pre-internet privilege. I, I did. And totally. all of the perks that went with that. Totally. I've done so much stupid stuff that never got taped, never got posted on social media. You know, my permanent record is just that, some file in a cabinet at my high school, 3,500 miles away, covered in dust, like in that, it's in scene from Close Encounter, or not Close, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, there's that big hall full of, full of boxes. That's, that's where my permanent record is. It's not on the internet. For people to dig up and look up and, and embarrass me with again and to be held against me in a court of law or an office of employment somewhere. God, I was listening to John and Sherry this afternoon and John's talking about a TikTok video he and Tom made, right? They were talking about the TikTok, potential TikTok ban going through both the House and the U.S. Senate. And John was uh, digging through his memory banks and talked about when he and Tom were asked to make some TikTok video for this new thing. The station was trying to get, you know, TikTok followers for Cairo. And uh, Jacob was able to dig it up and show it to Sherry. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, my God. Wow. Oh, I am so lucky that my horrible decisions weren't chronolo- you know, chronologically saved. And, and I guess what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah. Anyway. Archived. Archived. Thank you. Oh, to be used against you at a later date. No, thank you. <sighs> what's the first job you ever had, Matt? First job I ever had was in a public library. Okay. Yeah, you I'm know sure what? that doesn't surprise you. No, no. And you told me that before, too. I, I wish my memory was better, buddy. I, I got some. No, I was a desk clerk and yeah. also did some uh, catalog. That, make, um, that makes sense. That's the kind yeah. of guy you are, man. You're a historian. Indeed. You know, I think, yeah, you're probably a guy in a previous life, if you believe in that kind of stuff. I'm a man standing atop history saying, hold on, let me write that down. There you go. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, I bet you in a previous life you were a guy who kind of like hand wrote. Like the Gutenberg Bible, like a scribe. Of yes, sorts. yes, yes. You ever watch Game of Thrones? Yes. Remember what? Remember what Sam was? You know, at the library, right, or whatever right. that place was. Right. Yeah. Uh, you've got that kind of mind. You've got that appreciation for uh, for the history of who we are and what we've done. I know you display it musically all the time. I know your your acumen and knowledge of radio is is scary good. Yeah, I can believe that. My first job was uh, bartending. My parents owned the neighborhood tavern. 
You know, and when they when they sold the Baltimore Tavern and relocated, became Snowbirds then in Florida. I took it. That's when I started taking like you know real Joe jobs. Worked as a produce clerk one one winter at a grocery store. Where in Florida, by the way? Uh, my folks moved to the Orlando area uh, initially because my dad ran car dealerships in Maryland, and then uh, got associated with a dealership uh, startup down in the Orlando area. And uh, they since they they moved to Tampa later in their lives in the Sunshine State, in America's appendix, the part of the country we really don't need, and sometimes it flares up when you should think about having it removed. You know, Florida. Um, I moved to Orlando in 86. I spent all, well, no, 87. I spent all of 1987 living in Florida. But my folks were in Central Florida, and I uh, spent a year down there. I asked because my first job was a, was a tipping job, was a bartending job. And there is so much going on these days about tipping, you know, the, the tipping has gotten out of control. It really does. Because nowadays we pay with electronics most of the time, no matter where we go. Whether it's a restaurant you walk into, whether it's, you know, um, the Home Depot, you're buying some goods. Whether it's a weed store, you're picking up something, there's a little, little, little digital thing. You know, whatever, wherever you're going. Allegedly. Oh, well, no, I, hey, it's legal. <laughs> I shop. I, I'll, I'll, I'll own it. I don't smoke anymore. I gave it up 30-some years ago. But I've got, you know, family who do. And we, we, we have you officially legally. aged out of most of your vices at this point? Because it's um, like you don't have vices anymore. Oh, no, I, I it's funny. I, I picked up new, healthier, bad habits, you know, so I could hang around and, and make bad decisions longer, enjoy my crappy decision making for and inflict that upon my family and the community at large for a longer period of time. Yeah, you know, it most people I hope age out of their bad habits before they kill them. Out of their vices, you know, a lot of vices are self-destructive. Um, we'll talk about my my current addiction, and it's a story related to that later on the show. A, a story in the news that's relevant to me and what I'm going through in life in the way of addiction. But with regard to tipping, right? No matter where you go now, it seems you're giving the option to tip. You know, you got the you got the little pay screens usually on an iPad. They turn it around. So you can, you know, put your card in and right at the bottom, it's easy breezy. You want to make a 15, 18, 20% tip or more, you know, other. And I always tip even when I get carryout food. It's a habit I got into during the pandemic when I knew folks had lost in-store business. Especially, this is with regard to carryout food. Um, and I'll always tip five bucks. I don't care if it's a $12 order or a $60 order. All you did was put it in a bag and bring it to me. Okay, maybe it was two bags, but you just put it in a bag and brought it to me. Five bucks is plenty. I don't tip 18, 20% on a carryout order. Seems to me 18, 20% is appropriate when someone makes multiple trips to your table, is attentive, is, uh, you know, forethinking that they're, okay, I'm going to come in and check those water glasses every so often. How about some more breadsticks? Whatever it might be. Those folks, that level of service and professionalism, that's what generates in my mind the difference between uh, an 18, a 20, a 25% tip. And the fact that I had my first job in a bar, I, I over-tip. I really do. I tip to a fault. I think I told you when I was a bar fly, back before I got into radio, when I was tending bar in Baltimore and selling cars at my dad's car dealership, uh, I would go out, we would go out four to five nights a week. If I wasn't behind a bar, I was on the other side of the bar. Pretty much every night of the week, I was in a bar, either giving it out or taking it in. Or under it. Or uh, late, uh, yeah. Now, we always managed, we always managed to get home. We always managed to get home, but I never really, I never got so drunk that I passed out at a bar. Done it at home. You know, believe me, I've, I've been home in the safe confines of the O'Neill Castle and had way too much and just, you know, got embarrassing, but never out, never out and about. 
But uh, you got me. I forget where I was because I'm thinking back. Maybe, but did I ever pass out under bar? No, I never passed out under bar. Tipping. Um, tipping. Thank and the you. tipping culture has gotten way out of hand. Thank you, my friend. Um, to the point now where everybody tries to get you to tip for everything. And it, it takes our there, – there, there's a story in town about a, a brew pub. Up in Cap- Columbia City. You know where Columbia City is? It's down off Rainer Avenue. It's it's used to be a kind of a lower end of town, low income part of town. It's had a nice uh, re- rejuvenation, revitalization. Uh, Gen- gentrification. Gentrification. Well, gentrification is that – that's where you drive out the locals, right? Does gentrification necessarily mean you drive out the locals or if it's just the city kind of has a rebirth? I think it's a combination of driving people out and pricing them out. So yeah. when an area becomes hip or cool or trendy and right. the prices right. and the values go up, then people can't afford to live there. So I, I know there are areas along the pathway of like the light rail, for example, along MLK, that uh, the folks in that community were promised that the neighborhood would be uh, you know, revitalized and their property values would go up. But they went up so far that that community was driven out of that historically African-American community along Martin Luther King Boulevard. That was total gentrification. I don't know that Columbia City has lost all of its core, old-school, multi-generational families. So I know that it's it's seen improvements in commerce and retail and, and residential space. And maybe it has been gentrified to the point where the original communities have been priced out of the neighborhood. I'm not sure. But this uh, Flying Lion Brew Pub is in the news. It's a story we're talking about from the Seattle Times with regard to tipping. The owners of the pub, um, nice guy named Griffin Williams, says, you know, it, tipping's become so confusing and convoluted that they have eliminated tipping at their brew pub, but they've raised all their prices 20% to accommodate. Um, and I, I don't have any problem with that. I think that's probably okay. And the, the reason they did it was twofold. Not only was uh, it becoming confusing to people and people were, didn't know what to do, uh, most places, if you have a party of six or more, They'll include the tip in the bill, or you know, you know, table of six. They'll automatically add an eighteen percent gratuity to your total, and let you know that ahead of time. So that way, if you get a big table, the server doesn't get stooped. They'll just automatically know a big party. We're going to count that tip in and not leave it up to you, the server, or you, the uh, the customer. Now, uh, Griffin Griffin Williams at Flying Lion says the reason they added twenty percent to the whole tab and limited tipping altogether was because tipping benefited the folks out front doing the work, but didn't really make its way back to the folks who were in the back making the beer, just the folks out front serving the beer. And at that point, you got to do a couple things to make it really work. you got to make sure that the folks out front serving the beer are getting a living wage before tips. I mean, I know things have changed and a lot of states have higher minimum wages, but there are still a lot of states where servers are making like three, four bucks an hour plus tips. You know, if you're going to eliminate tips, say folks better be making a minimum wage at least. And then the tips that come in, you, you spread that around, the 20% you add to the bill, does that go to the front and the back of the house too? Or is that just going to the owner of the building? It's convoluted. I, I don't mind tipping. I like tipping. I'm an over-generous tipper. But I like to have that control because I like the power of, hey, cruddy service gets no tip. Otherwise, I mean, if you're guaranteeing someone a tip of 18 or 20% when you walk in the door, I mean, what onus do they have to to work hard and be professional and take care of the customers? I mean, I know I, I hear you. If it's if they're lousy servers, they're going to lose their gig. That's that's how it plays out in, in the end. But you know, I like to reward people for good service. I know why I was starting to tell you when I was out in a bar. 
I would walk in. I, I lost my train of thought earlier. I got it back. It's been a long day. <laughs> it's when I walked into a bar, I would get, order the first drink for the bartender, and I drop like a twenty right on the right there for the for one drink, a twenty dollar tip, and make eye contact. They remember me, and I didn't have a problem the rest of the night. There could be two hundred people trying to get the bartender's attention, but he was looking for me because he knew I was a generous tipper. I set the tone ahead of time. You know, if you have a great night with a bartender and you tip later in the evening, he's like, God, I wish I'd have known you were so generous. I'd have been nicer to you all night long. I kind of flipped the script on that. I saw this story with regard to tipping that I thought was funny, genuinely funny. In fact, Matt found this. I got to give credit where credit is due. These guys are what they call real estate influencers. It's kind of a TikTok thing they got going on. These guys have like, oh, 800,000 followers on TikTok, almost 900,000 followers. They're two gentlemen. And they were trying to poke fun at the tipping situation. And they've got a video. I wish we could, we, we could play the video for you, but it wouldn't do any good without the visuals. But I'll try to paraphrase what they did. There are two guys who have this TikTok. It's called Two Guys Take on Real Estate, at Two Guys Take on Real Estate, all one word, as TikTok tends to do. They did a thing where a guy was going to pay his rent. And he went to the, to the landlord who had a kiosk with one of those those tablets that just slides your card or put your card in and he turns it around and at the bottom of the uh, <laughs> at the bottom of the rent things okay thanks for paying your rent this month go ahead and sign here it's just going to ask a couple questions and as he spun it around there was a uh, a thick screen that had the options to tip 15 20 or 25% and the guy who was paying his rent's like a tip I'm not tipping my landlord Twitch landlord said, oh, so you'll tip a barista who pours overpriced coffee in a cup, but not the guy who's on call 24-7 to make sure you have a safe home? And the tenant was like, "But oh, okay, but, you know, this isn't a restaurant. Why would, why would I tip you? Because, oh, oh you'll, tip, you'll tip some guy who brings you a basket of wings 25%, but not the man who's on call 24 hours a day after hours for emergencies? And it was just pointing out the, the lunacy that tipping has become. I mean, a tip on paying your rent. Obviously, these guys were making a joke, but they were they were highlighting how how nuts it's gotten with the expectation of tipping. Tipping used to be a reward for good service, and when folks were you know servers were left behind from an hourly wage point of view, it became like oh you're going to tip. Everybody knew that we have to tip, otherwise these guys won't be able to to make a living, won't be able to pay their bills, feed their families. So where are you on tipping these days? Do you still tip? Do you resent being assuming that you're going to give 18%, 20 25%? Well, I don't go out a lot these days, particularly because I'm working nights. So yeah. the temptation to, <laughs> yeah. to be out at night, as I would often be, is just not there. So I don't deal with it as much in you know public settings. I do feel the need to tip, especially one thing that tempts me to tip extra is if I'm getting something delivered and it's nasty out. Like if somebody's getting out in the crud to bring me something because I'm too lazy to go get it myself, then I should tip them. Right. You don't have a car that's built for snow and somebody brings you in a Jeep, brings you food. That guy's earned his tip. Mm -hmm. He's like bringing the medicine by sled dog. Yeah. Seriously, that guy's, yeah, he's earned it. At those moments, I'm happy to tip. This guy, Griffin Williams, from from Flying Lion Brewery down in Columbia City. Hope hope business goes great for you guys. I really do. I hear the beer is fantastic. Um, says he was at like an electronics store and was buying a cable, and there was a tipping option. 
to buy like a forty dollar cable. What's what's what are you tipping for there? Exactly. No offense exactly. to the staff of this establishment, but once they stocked the cable, their work was pretty much done other than ringing him up. Right. And and are they going to give that to the to the guy back in the warehouse? I who actually it. said no? It's going to go to the owner, who's probably a multi millionaire conglomerate who owns a bunch of stores. You know, I mean, gosh. It's gotten out of hand how we are in tipping these days. And and again, you know, I understand that folks in the service industry are grossly underpaid. You know, and if a lot of them still make the bulk of their living through tips. My daughter's working at a bar on Capitol Hill. She's a bartender again. And her hourly wage is below minimum wage because they know they're going to be receiving tips. And she's got to tip out the bar back and the and the kitchen staff and the dishwashers, you know. Um, I just I hate it when people assume that you know that you you would you we want to tip 18 20 25 I don't know if I want to tip like five percent because you sucked at this is that's where the other option comes in and I'm I'm not above giving a lousy tip to send a message to a server I think if, if I if a server does a horrible job and I just tip it regularly 18 percent then everybody gets terrible service and I'm not doing that server any favors they're gonna lose their gig eventually when enough customers complain if I give them a crud tip, maybe they'll get the message. Maybe, maybe, but maybe. I wouldn't bet on it. But and if they don't, they'll get fired. But at least I'm firing a warning shot across the bow. Hey, here's a buck. You sucked at this. Pick up your game, or you're going to be looking for different work. Yep, that's me, high and mighty Spike O'Neill, captain <laughs> of, the, of the tip. This story in the Seattle Times, by the way, from Danny Westing, who's a phenomenal writer, an absolute phenomenal writer, real treasure here in Seattle. It's Kyra Knights. I'm Spike O'Neill, along with Matt Butler. Got plenty to talk about tonight. My addiction. We'll talk about my addiction tonight. We'll talk about student loan debt because you know that you know that President Biden is quietly forgiving student loan debt despite the fact that the Supreme Court's about to strike down his executive order relieving student loans. I'll tell you all about that coming up later tonight. We'll be back right after these. Jones and the Indications. Excellent choice. They're awesome. Welcome back to Cairo Nights. Matt Butler, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Spike O'Neill, just along for the groove. So this bill passed the House down in, down in Olympia. I don't know we've been talking about so many different issues down in Olympia this year at the legislative session. The pursuit bill, according to uh, Matt Markovich and his latest reporting, tomorrow is kind of the last stand if this is going to get uh, a chance to move forward through legislation tomorrow is it. Otherwise, it's dead for the session. The bipartisan modest middle housing bill passed the House, had bipartisan support. Now, what this is, you know what high density is in a, in a community? Basically, the story is, you know, we're going to need so many more houses in in every city in Washington state in order to house all the people who who live here to have affordable housing for the folks who live here. And this bill, House Bill 1110-1110, introduced by State Representative Jessica Bateman, Democratic out of Olympia, it legalizes modest middle housing options, which means 
and I called it high density, high density multifamily is what they did to my neighborhood in Queen Anne. My wife and I bought our first home in Seattle on the west side of Queen Anne Hill. We had no idea at the time how lucky we were to buy into that neighborhood. It's a wonderful, well sought after neighborhood. And we had our single family home, you know, two bedroom home, modest, uh, with a full basement though. So we, were, we had room for family to come over and guests to stay and all the things that you have when in your first home. I hope you hope to have in your first home. And the city at that time was when Mayor Nichols was still in charge of Seattle. He needed more space. He needed more housing. And they deemed our community, uh, the streets between, I think, 1st and 10th on the west side of Queen Anne and literally our block between Howe and Crockett, our cross streets, high-density multifamily, which meant that people could build in their backyards, accessory dwelling units, right? And they built our neighborhood into this every Every house had another little house or a, a couple, couple of uh, townhouses or even an apartment building in their backyard. And it just became so cluttered and so noisy and so so cramped. Uh, in our particular house on Queen Anne, we had, we had a construction zone behind our house for like four straight years as our neighbors behind us, one by one by one, took advantage of this new opportunity to build additional spaces on their lots and gain some, some new income. By having a rental property on their lot, it just drove us out of the neighborhood. And we'd go to city council meetings and say, hey, you know, we don't want to have all this construction. We don't have all this clutter, all this, all these people moving into our neighborhood. Well, you have the right, too, to build in your yard. Well, I don't want to be a landowner. I don't want to be a, 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 a rental property owner. I want to just raise my two kids in the single-family home we'd bought. My neighbors across the street, we had, a, we had a nice little peekaboo view of the Olympic Mountain Range from our house on Queen Anne, West Slope of the Hill. My neighbors had somebody on the alley behind their house built like a three-story apartment building, which totally blocked their view. It blocked their view from their from their lower deck and their upper deck. I mean, their Olympic view, mountain view, their property value was decimated. You know, a view house is worth a lot more than a house that's got a view of an apartment building. People looking right into your kitchen while you're while you're making dinner. So we ended up moving out to the county. I bring this up because this uh, Washington. This uh, modest middle housing bill passed the House down in Olympia with a bipartisan support, but it's, it, would, it would allow the state uh, to just build – it would basically eliminate the single-family zoning completely. If you have a, a lot, you can build two – if, if you're in a town – and it changes by the, by the density of the city we're talking about too. So I'm making the whole state you know, high-density – and they say that's what we need to have enough affordable housing. If your city is a population between twenty-five and seventy-five thousand people, you could build two units on any lot, no matter where it is. Any house could be dropped, and a, a duplex could be put on it. If you're in a house, if you're in a city that's seventy-five thousand people or more, up to up to two hundred seventy-five thousand people. Every, every lot could have four houses put on it. I mean, that's, that's kind of what we see. In, we see it a lot in Seattle. A house gets taken down and four or six houses get put on that one lot. The one point in perspective of all of this, though, is that our relatively light density of housing in most places in the United States is an anomaly. If you travel a lot, if you've ever mm. lived in another country or worked abroad – you understand that most people aren't raised 
to expect the amount of space and luxury that we have in the in North America. You're exactly right. That is such an American way to look at things. You're right. We've got more. We got space. Sea to shining sea. Manifest destiny. We got all this space. And the European cities, you're right. When you get there, they've been there for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of years. And they're built all right on top of each other. You're right. I mean, God, go, go to Rio. You want to talk about density? Oh, it's, it's, un, it, it's, it will freak you out. I was in Bangladesh and there were so many people. It was so cramped in, in Dhaka, Bangladesh. The most, de- well, it is the most densely populated place on the face of the earth. I had an anxiety attack. I couldn't even leave the hotel for a full day because everywhere you went, it was it was like you're in a movie. Those those three wheel bicycles, you know, are everywhere. You ever seen like the, where you have the train running and people are like hanging out of every door and every window of the train? And they're on top of the train. That was everywhere in Bangladesh, or at least in the, in the city of Dhaka. It's 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 that way. You're right. It's that way in Europe. The the amount of space we take for granted here in America is a very rare American thing. And we all need places to live. I get it. I'm, I'm not against that. I just wonder that if every place, if every place is deemed high-density multifamily, if every every lot in the state can have a duplex put on it or a four-top put on it, every lot, are our streets enough? Is the infrastructure enough? It's one thing to put all these houses here. Where are you going to park all these people? You can't put them on the streets. There's not enough room to park the house when there are single family homes in a lot of places. There's not enough parking on the streets. My daughter lives up on Capitol Hill. Folks that live in the Ravenna area or the Wallingford area. Lots of areas. If you don't have a zoned parking permit for your neighborhood, you can't legally park on the streets there. It's already too crowded with single family homes. How do we have that much density? How do we build that many places on our lots? Unless we, what, outlaw cars? Limit the amount of cars people have? Well, it's been proposed. It, it's, it's, it might be the only solution. To have walkable urban cores and right, try right. to keep the cars out of it. They call those, what, 15-minute cities, right? Yeah. Where you can have everything you'll need in a walkable community. Grocers, recreation, restaurants, uh, whatever, little hardware stores, whatever it might be. All within walking distance of, of 15 minutes of where you live. And that, you know... 20, 25 years from now, that's what we may be looking at. They may have finally have light rail built by then. You know, we may have dependable mass transit by then, public transportation by then. And cars could become a thing of the past. Uh, I always hope to have my old 66 Beetle internal combustion engine. You know, my wife's got an old Mustang. And we don't drive these cars. We keep them, and they're, they're in great shape. I don't ever want to lose those. But I'm, I'm sure we'll all be electric. We'll all be on a rail. We'll all be we'll be doing we'll be walking. Well, hey, you could that's a new, that's a new stream of income though because what you could do is you could start a classic car club with the space for people to come out and run their cars, and it could be like an event. <laughs> You've got the only street where gas is allowed. Yeah, there you go. It's Kyra Knights. I'm Spike O'Neill along with Matt Butler. We'll be right back. I'm Spike O'Neill along with Matt Butler. You know, Matt, this show is a, a journey of discovery for me. I say that because uh, I mentioned that I've got a little bit of an addiction. 
And there's a story in the news tonight that's uh, kind of relevant to my addiction. I'll, I'll tell you about it in a little bit. But I, I hadn't realized that I've really got I got another addiction that I wasn't even aware of. And I, I knew I had a problem. My dealer hit me up this weekend. Um, and it was innocent enough. You know, I'm in the grocery store, right? And I was just, it didn't go looking. Wasn't out, you know, wasn't out catting around looking for my dealer. Go to leave the grocery store and there's my dealer sitting there. Card table set up. Couple of them, dealer and a couple of her friends were there. Had all the, had all the products set out on the table. Thin mints, trefoils, dozy does. It's that time of year again, buddy. Girl Scout cookie time. <laughs> I didn't realize. I didn't realize. It's been so long. I've been clean for what am I get? Ten months, right? And I'm thinking, okay, okay. I better get it while the getting's good, man. I know when my dealer's out, it's, there's no more. It's the city. The streets go cold when the, when they're gone. They go. They you know. Ain't like they're sitting on a warehouse full of them somewhere or there's mules bringing them in because Trump didn't get the wall built. When the cookies go dry, man, they're gone. So you got to get while the getting's good. So I go back in the store and I, you know, hit the, uh, I go and I pick up one more thing from the grocery store, hit the cash back option on my little grocer, get a 20 spot. Go tip the side, cashier. Tip the cashier option, 18, 20, 25%. Oh, good callback. Um, go outside with a 20 in my hand. I said, hey, give me four boxes. Oh, that nasty, nasty. She goes, no, nah, brother. Price has gone up, man. Supply and demand. There's six bucks a box now. Oh, heartbreak. Give me three boxes. Keep that deuce as a little tip for yourself. Tip the Girl Scouts. Oh, you bet I did. I don't remember my face. Um, So I, I get my Girl Scout cookies. And, it's, and my wife loves these things, man. The trefoils, the shortbread ones. They freeze. You know, you can... Girl Scouts, you know, Girl Scout cookies, you got to... You burn through. First off, they... They should say it's single serving on the side of the box because that's really <laughs> once you open them puppies up, they're gone. They're so gone. My wife loves those those shortbread trefoils, the trefoils, whatever you call them, and they freeze. So you know, this week I'm I'm kind of hitting all the hitting all the local hot spots, all the grocers, trying to find those those girls in green, man. Trying to find my dealer. We need to parody that uh, Lou Reed Velvet Underground song, Waiting for the Man. <laughs> waiting, on the, waiting for the girl. Yeah, waiting for the girl. <laughs> With a merit badge is shining. <laughs> a sash go. draped across a young shoulder. Um, but, but this, the reason I saw this story, and it made me think about it, because I hadn't even thought about it. I just grabbed a few boxes, threw them in the freezer at home, told the missus, hey, they're back. Um, apparently the Girl Scouts have a new flavor this year. Brand new flavor they've introduced called a raspberry rally. And there's they're gone. They're so they're so popular that they're on the aftermarket. They're on eBay. They've been scooped up from the Girl Scouts, and they're literally selling for five, six times face value on eBay. And I went and checked, and I can I can score us a box, man. You want to go go half on a box with me? I can't have, I can't run the whole thirty two bucks for this box of <laughs> Raspberry Rally Girl Scout cookies. I can't I can't cover it myself, brother. Times is tough. Um, but yeah, I mean, and also found out in this story from the New York Times. It's not just me. The New York Times has this story about the the new sold out Girl Scout cookie flavor hitting the resale market. Girl Scout cookies run from four to seven dollars a box at face value. 
you know. So I guess I guess maybe my 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 local dealer just raised the uh, raised the, raised it on me personally. You know, six bucks. It was five bucks last year, not six. And I'm happy. I'm happy to support scouting. I think scouting's fantastic. Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, whatever Cub Scouts. You know, I I, I love it. My kid was a scout. I was a scout. You know, at one point for a very brief time, I was a uh, I was a volunteer scout leader. When my little brother uh, was still when I was still living at home with my folks, my little brother was in the scouting age, like under ten. Their uh, their scout leader had to bail, and until they found a a, temp, a a permanent one, I filled in as a temporary scout leader. You know, just for a few months, had the kids over in our basement. You know, do some projects and stuff like that. But I think scouting's great, and supporting the Girl Scouts through buying Girl Scout cookies is a great great thing to do. But man, five, six times face value face value for a box of Raspberry Rallies on, on eBay? I don't know, man. I mean, Girl Scout cookies are great, but they are chock full of preservatives. Not like you, you know. It's I guess it's an acquired taste. Well, if they're to, full of preservatives, they'll last longer oh, yeah. eBay's to keep them around. See, <laughs> there are literally I mean, and I'm wondering if who's who are these retailers on eBay selling these Girl Scout cookies at five and six times face value. Are these are these scout leaders? Are these moms? Probably the same people selling me obscure flavors of Mountain Dew. <laughs> you buy? Are you buying aftermarket Mountain Dew? I have done a few oh, times, dude. I, I you never <laughs> cease to amaze me. It's Cairo Nights. Matt and I are going to uh, kind of reach out to our dealers and maybe our sponsor, and we'll be right back after these. <laughs> 